determined. I am focused. I am inspired. I am motivated. We are in Four More, a dynamic and collaborative team of four entrepreneurs who inspire and motivate by educating you through fun and interactive channels. Get ready to explore now. So guys, thank you so much for joining us today. How many times have you heard that millennials are lazy, entitled, narcissistic, and immature? This generation has been impacted by a financial crisis. Therefore, their consumption habits and lifestyle choices have psychologically had to differ from Gen Y in terms of entertainment, home, in home ownership, and purchasing trends. It is not necessarily that millennials are lazy. They just have had to alter their lifestyle choices due to earning less than any other generation and accruing more debt, putting more of an emphasis on their health and fitness, and moreover, truly caring about making a difference in the world around them, including the environment. We'll be diving into 10 surprising industries that millennials are accused of killing and their impact is forcing corporations to re-strategize their marketing efforts. Let's dive a little bit deeper into each one. Number 10, fabric softener. According to Wall Street Journal, most millennials don't even know what fabric softener is used for, which I'm laughing while I'm <laughs> this, this, is, this is seriously worrying Procter & Gamble, who owns Downey, Bounce, and Game. So, do you guys know what fabric softener is? Let's start with that. Yes. <laughs> so, here's the thing. Here's my opinion about fabric softener. I don't own it. It's not in my household. The number one reason um, I think that is, is because being that I can speak on millennials, I am a millennial, um, I'm concerned about my health, okay? So, um, I don't want to spend money on the things that have a load of chemicals, and we all know lots of the fabric softeners, at least that they're out there, um, have a ton of chemicals. Have a ton of words I cannot um, even, you know, start to pronounce. So I think in this generation, um, we're a little bit more forward thinking of what we're actually putting into our bodies. No offense against, you know, natural fabric softeners that are out there, but it's not as mainstream mm -hmm. because I think with us, it's it's less about okay, hey, it, it's more about efficiency and making sure if we do our laundry, all right, it's done, and we're not going to spend, you know, a thousand percent into making sure that the laundry is perfect quote unquote okay um i think we have a lot no offense to anybody listening but i think we have a lot other things to worry about um in our mm -hmm. lives you know we tend to be um, millennials tend to have a lot going on i mean i would have to say that we are the hustlers of our generation you know from mm -hmm. our jobs and I, I would have to say that we're a very hard-working bunch i know statistically mm -hmm. proven um that millennials work the hardest um, and though I, I, although I think that we do have that balance as well, because millennials also, on the other hand of it, have taken the most vacation time. I think it's 35 days out of the year. Um, so I think for us, it's more about the balance where in, you know, previous generations, it was more about household must look impeccable. Um, at least, you know, a little bit about my upbringing is my mom would put so much of emphasis on doing laundry. And when she was done, I mean, it was like a four to five hour project some days. And and I just looked at her and go, I, I could never do that, you know. Um, but I think the, the focus, and I don't know how much, how much of you, you know, guys agree with this, but the focus for me, at least, is what I'm putting into my body. Um, I think for me, it's less chemicals, the better. <laughs> so um, mm -hmm. I'm not even down with the Lysol. I know we, we, we're in a pandemic right now. Instead of Lysoling it, um, although I've gotten really desperate and when I haven't seen you know, hydrogen peroxide on the market, I've been prone to buy Lysol, but it's only because it was like the last item that I can find. 
Um, but other than that, even in this pandemic, when there's so many so much worry out there, I'm still opting for the more natural solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I think for a- I was going to add like um, for laundry, uh, it's not my favorite thing to do at all. And I could see why <laughs> I'm one of those people that it's like, okay, it's three weeks now. And I have like two more choices outfit before, you know, commando style, but, um, laundry. I procrastinate on laundry all the time. It's like something I never look forward to, but, um, I'm, you know, watching my parents do it. I do agree. It's like time consuming. I can see why a lot of people, especially uh, millennials, probably like, hey, that's just an additional cost, and they probably don't think of it as in detail. Mm-hmm. Kind of like on to mm-hmm. the next, and you know, we're like the Uber generation, next, next, next. So like uh, exactly. as detailed as like our parents who really spend time doing it, I could see why they skip out on it. I personally still use it just because I'm horrible again at laundry for the eighth time. So I just kind of copy what my mom and my dad show and never really deviate from that plan. Because <laughs> uh, that's just uh, the formula that works uh, for them. But yeah, I would just say, like, I'm assuming it probably has to do with uh, cost and people just really not really seeing the benefit of it. We're not really like the homemaker generation as of right now. So I don't see us really exactly. having the emphasis. I'm going to add in one more thing on this laundry before we go on to the next topic, just because I think it's fair to say, since we're on the personal subject of laundry, um, I do often use a lot of apps. Um, I know previous generations didn't have access to technology, right? That's something Mm -hmm. to put the spotlight on. And so nowadays we have apps for everything. I can get my Starbucks to my door and essentially I can get laundry done for me and I can have you know somebody come and pick it up and in fact today that's exactly what I did I got really busy with my workload and I thought okay um it's it's just you know what you what you Tim said going commando it's I'm just about at that stage and so I got really (laughs) desperate and I used a fabulous um company that's actually virtual and they're called you know life without laundry the tagline says Mm -hmm. it all right so I'm almost, you know, mm-hmm. thinking if, if previous generations, if older generations actually had access to these apps, would they use it, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it has to do with technology and just the efficiency of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, what I have to say, you know, um, contrary to what Tim says, I actually love doing my own laundry. I think, like, for me, like, taking dirty Perfect. clothes. I'm going to go to you. I get all your dirty clothes. No, you know, taking dirty clothes and then it coming out and I, I love using like game pods and, you know, using game flings. And I love the scent and scent that actually like kind of transitions uh, for a couple of days, especially like warm sheets. That's like one of the best feelings ever yeah. for me. So I kind of like that process. Um, when it comes to fabric softener, I think that was something that was marketed to, like, you know, an older generation. I, I know my parents used it as well, but I don't think, for me, it's kind of like a marketing ploy. I don't know mm. if fabric softener is necessarily needed. So, you know, the whole idea of what fabric softener is, you know, it actually softens your clothes, right? So a lot of materials yeah. back in the day were not as, as soft as compared to, like, now. Like, I, I wear a lot of exactly. cotton. 
I'm sensitive, mm-hmm. like my skin is sensitive. So I think like for me personally, I feel like adding an extra element is just not needed for myself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we're also trying to be a little bit more price conscious, right? As millennials, you know, I'm a millennial myself. And if I don't need something, I'm not going to buy it, right? I'm going to use that money towards something that is investable or something that I really actually need. So I think for, for that and many millennials out there, they're actually being a lot um, a lot smarter with, with their, um, you know, choices that they make. And it's not necessarily that they're, they're cheap or anything like that. They're just using that money towards something else, which is kind of that mm-hmm. alternative. Like, you know, if you, if you have an extra, you know, fund, is it going to be put towards laundry or do you want to put it towards an experience and travel or something like that? So yeah, that's kind of how I, I feel. Back in the olden days, too, like, dryers weren't as common like to wash your clothes is very normal right so fabric softener went into the washer the only thing i know about fabric softener is it's that little area on the washer that i have to clean once a month because it gets dusty and i never put anything in it right so that's really all i know about it essentially but we do use dryers now mm-hmm. so there is this this whole concept of buying these dryer sheets, right? The, mm-hmm. the balance sheet, yeah. or if you're going to use the wool ball with the essential oils, mm-hmm. and you can make your coat yep. a little bit softer. And Misha, to her credit, it was mm-hmm. it was probably a five thread count, you know, shirt that yeah. you were buying back in the day. <laughs> now they've made them like microfiber, polyester. Mm-hmm. They're a lot more so soft. True. So if your if your clothes mm-hmm. don't feel too dry, like you're There's probably, no need. It's yeah, if they already feel soft mm-hmm. when you put them on. Why would you even want to add anything to it? It just it sounds like a scam. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's definitely something that's not useful. Um, now we'll kind of move on to the next topic, number nine, which is cereal. I wonder how many people could guess these. That'd be fun. Um, write <laughs> us and find if you guess these right, we want to know. But in a highly publicized survey, Mintel found that 40% of millennials preferred not to eat cereal for breakfast because it takes too long to prepare and clean up. Jeez. Yeah, like yeah. the bowl. I agree. Come on, guys. I'm like a, is it for me? I no, but agree. I get Go where they're coming now. from. I get, for me, and I know a lot of people there, sometimes you're you're on the go, especially like if you're living in an urban city. Like you're trained mm-hmm. from a little kid of like, oh, you're getting coffee before you go to high school and stuff like that, and you're on the, you're on the run. So I know like mm-hmm. with things that are easier, like all in one, like, you know, you stop at your 7-Eleven or your CVS or you go get your coffee and you get your granola bar. You just want stuff mm-hmm. kind of on the go. So I could see, I mean, the fact is, too, millennials, uh, even though they, you know, stereotypically lazy, when in fact we're putting the most hours in our conscious day to mm-hmm. working. So a lot in which just not one job. I mean, we're doing multiple jobs. We're, we're doing gigs. Mm-hmm. We're, we're freelancers. So I think I could see why cereal probably going down. People are going for, you know, quick fix, and then they're on the, onto the next. They're in a different zip code mm-hmm. within an hour. So. I would I, I, I kind of identify with that part. I agree with you, Tim, mm-hmm. on that on that end of being efficient. But let's think about it, guys. Yeah. Let's just break this down. Cereal. What does it consist of? It consists of a box of a, a lot of times processed sugar. goods. Sugar. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. it's packaged in this, you know, just unruly plastic bag. And you open it up. And, you know, it, it's kind of like you got to put it in another plastic container so it can hold its freshness, which for me is just really irritating. Um, so I don't want to deal with the process. But, I mean, when, when you break it down, it's actually pretty efficient, though. I mean, what do you add? Like milk. You can add dairy-free if you don't like milk. And so 
all you have to do if you don't finish it is just you know put it down the sink right i mean that's it, it's actually pretty easy to eat on the run um but i understand like not even having the time to sit at a table um i would agree with you on that but i think for me it's more about the health again um i'm gonna lead in with the health a lot of you know cereal products have, are have tons of sugar they're really processed i mean if you look at the back of even cheerios guys even the most basic of cheerios the most simple version okay has got over 25 ingredients okay how is that possible <laughs> right yeah. um, i think a lot of parents especially or younger millennials are not wanting to feed their kids that because they don't know what's really in it um and so i'm i'm one of these people if you can't pronounce it then you shouldn't eat it it's just my personal ethos i think a lot of millennials are a little bit more conscientious about it and mm -hmm. you know there's so much more that's available to us um about do you even remember like the the last cereal that we even ate i think i ate like cookie crisp and like something with reese's it was like years ago mine was lucky yeah, charms lucky charms <laughs> is the sweetest it might as well be a candy bar yeah it's yeah <laughs> the frosted flakes should not be categorized as cereal it should be just a pile of sugar yeah <laughs> well the, the same article says that millennials are opting to go for yogurt sandwiches fruits and smoothies yeah and i do feel like we are like this smoothie generation we right? are. we're all mm -hmm. about we the smoothies and the we're fruit. all about smoothies at smoothie king but also like i know like you know i definitely make smoothies at home too because you well. know mm -hmm. you know what's actually going in the food so I actually agree with both of you uh Tim and Yvette I think that things need to be on the go people are constantly even if you're actually at home you're just wanting to like open up a wrapper or like a protein bar or something and eat it really quickly and get on with your day so I've definitely been guilty of that I love protein bars but I think also just the amount of food like if you actually survey what you ate as a child versus what kids are eating now like at school lunches there's there's a huge di discrepancy between it but it's actually getting healthier I remember when I was in school like I wasn't probably the the most healthy but I was the most unhealthy but I know in my in my lunch box I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich I had like a squeeze it do you remember squeeze it back oh, in the I day and, like, sugar in a in a bottle yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then like I would get like like some type of candy, like a like a cupcake or something like that. And there was yeah. there was nothing wrong with that. That was kind of the trend back then. But if you look at this sugar consumption that we had back then versus what people are actually starting to put natural things in their body, they're eating more fruits, more vegetables, maybe even oatmeal, which actually takes more preparation than a bowl of cereal. It does. But actually it putting does. putting that effort into it and actually putting something healthy is going to reduce diabetes you know, uh, obesity, all of that stuff, it, it actually has a case. So, you know, if we are eliminating some of the unnatural foods out of our bodies, we're actually really helping ourselves, um, you know, live oh, yeah. longer and help. These are so preserved. Yeah. You really look at, Yvette was talking about the ingredients, mm -hmm. but if you drop cereal under the couch and you find it six months later, it's, it's going to look identical. So Nothing has changed with that cereal. That is not normal, guys. <laughs> it's preserved. It's mummified, right? Um, it's a little bit scary on that end. Yeah, there's so many preserved yeah. and chemicals. Look, even and that, and I'm sure yeah, there go are to a cafeteria, too. Like, if oh, you just go to any cafeteria, I was saying, like, when you, to your guys' point, like, I'm pretty sure, like, our cafeteria looks a lot different than, like, today's cafeteria, because I know, like, mm -hmm. when I was going there, there was, like, 
vending machines where you could get soda. There was also like snack shacks where you could go get like cook. I had friends that would just be drinking soda and eating cookies. And I had one friend who ate so much cookies that he got he actually hates cookies because he would just skip mm-hmm. out all the regular lunch and just go to the snack shack every day until he was sick. <laughs> so and now when you go to the cafeteria, you don't see any of those stuff. Really, no, the vending machines are like locked off. Yeah, they had an initiative that vending machines had to be removed from schools because people during yeah. their break, they were just getting a soda and a candy bar and they were eating like two or three times a day, which is really ridiculous, but it's really the accessibility, right? Like that's kind of what we're yeah. saying. If you provide that in schools, that's what people are going to gravitate towards. But if you eliminate that and you actually allow people to make healthier choices, I think that's better and it starts at a younger age, right? Like I think that I've mm-hmm. definitely become a lot healthier. Like when I got to college, I think that's when a lot of my transformation happened. You know, I, uh, I wasn't eating as much sugary foods and I started becoming a little bit more natural. I won't say I was the most natural as well, but I think that I actually made a huge difference because I was actually surrounded by a lot of my friends that were into nutrition and fitness. So a lot of that actually happens to who you actually surround yourself with, right? And being able to mm-hmm. kind of learn about nutrition and some of the things that you put in your body. And at 20, you can put a lot of junk in your body as opposed to when you get older. So that has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, I'm thinking about my yeah. high school now. Yeah. Now, all I remember is this is the, these were our choices. You could eat nachos with like tons of liquid teas and like other that's stuff. Not even <laughs> <true>. <laughs> yeah, that's not even true. Right, I know. Mm-hmm. And those were those were all you could order. Like, I don't think a salad yeah. existed at my cafeteria, and if it did, it if it didn't, probably not. Like, probably the like stuff that no one picked at. It was probably moldy or something. No one would get. I think what we're all sort of pointing at here is how natural and healthy has become the trend. You know, it's the general trend. That's what people are looking at. Look at the advent of whole foods. I mean, people are willing mm-hmm. to pay more for food that they deem is healthy, right? Has less mm-hmm. chemicals, has less ingredients overall. And the demand is there. It's in high demand. Why? Because people see the value of it. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when I was younger going to the grocery store with my with my mother. And I have to say in re- most recent times, she's definitely like one of those more, she's, she's grown a little bit more holistic. So she'll go to like the small little independent health stores. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like when I was super young, she was still buying me, you know, Coke. And that would be something I would drink every day with dinner. Um, and she'd get cereal thinking it's categorized as a health food for breakfast, you know, mm-hmm. thinking she was doing a good thing. I think what we all have become really good at is being inspectors. Like we actually read the labels, you know, we don't just toss it into mm-hmm. our cart, which is just interesting how things have changed, you know, how certain foods have been categorized under completely different departments now. <laughs> so. Honestly, in her defense, though, with probably all of our family generation, you know, Wheaties and Cheerios, like you mentioned, I'm going to have to like look on a box of Cheerios, but yeah. those were actually like targeted to like, they were advertised to kids as you eat Cheerios, you eat Wheaties and you'll become strong and you'll be athletic. Yeah. Exactly. Was actually more <laughs> Yeah, that's what a lot of the brands actually marketed it as something that was well, healthy. In retrospect, now we're like, okay, that wasn't probably the healthiest choice, but it definitely was there. Yeah, and one thing, too, with that, you just reminded me of, also, mm-hmm. I think, too, as millennials, we're kind of like, it's one or two people, three or people, and I know a lot of time, like, cereals probably categorized in, like, a bulk food, 
Um, and you know, mm-hmm. with fa- with like more of the homemaker generation before us and uh, two generations before them, they're used to buying, I think, bulk because they used to have like a whole family unit. And I think now it's like millennials, it's just like us. It's like, what am I gonna do with all this yeah, extra crap? It doesn't like go bad. It, it does often, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't make as many trips to the grocery store, so that's you know, yeah. cereal if and chips will stay good for a while. If you go to Costco, you can buy like two big boxes of cereal that if you're like nesting or if it's the winter you can you could be good for a couple of months right so I think that's another thing but you know it's it's interesting because I think more millennials and I of course this is going to veer us off in a different topic but um I think a lot of millennials are not as coupled as you know previous generations so they're just you know a lot of single people living on their own so they're not as much, I would say, I don't want to call people hoarders, but we're not as much collectors of food, right? Because we're always on the go and we're just thinking about us singularly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I know for myself, you know, I don't even have like a full fridge. I have a mini fridge. And so it's for me, right? And, yeah. you know, it's enough to keep me going. And I think about it like, okay, let's think about the, the food for maybe the week or maybe even four to five days. You know, I don't think beyond that. Um, I think if yeah. obviously you've got a family, you are thinking beyond that and you have to satisfy more um, bellies, right? Um, so yeah. I think, you know, with that said, you know, as millennials, we're blamed for everything. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times, you know, the emphasis is not that we're selfish or we're lazy, but, you know, the needs have changed. It just has. Yeah. Um, so I don't really, want to buy more really, than I have to. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that, Annette, because when I, mean, I lived in Pennsylvania, I was buying a home there. So I was going through so many different walkthroughs and a lot of the homes were older. They were like from the 50s, 60s, somewhere from the 70s. But when I would see these kitchens, I remember the common the theme was most of them had a walk-in pantry. Yep. And this walk-in pantry yeah. was gigantic. Yeah. I'm like, you cannot store, you can't store fresh apples and produce there because that's going to go bad immediately, right? So you're, when you're thinking about what you're going to store there, it's going to be processed foods that are going to stay good Dude, for months. Good for I could have probably filled that pantry and lived for a year without ever going to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you bring about a good point. The pantries were probably the size of my studio. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. My studio is pretty sizable, but I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, I remember thinking I could fit a bed in here, like a small <laughs> <laughs> I probably put clothes in there. I use that as an extra storage closet. I'll make a closet. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, we're on the topic of boarding, so kind of on the opposite of that, number eight is actually napkins. That is actually on topic. Yeah, napkins. Right? Oh, my mm-hmm. God. It's it's yeah, so crazy that you say that. Oh, I'm sorry. Do, uh, I don't want to interrupt yet. Oh, it's okay. I, I want to share my say, memory. According to Business Insider, fewer millennials are eating at home. And when they do, just like uh, Tim said, they're not eating at home as often. But when they do, they're using paper towels. Oh, yeah. I always use paper towels. What do you need Same napkins here. for? Same here. You know, mm-hmm. I just went to the store today and I looked at the first thing that I put in the cart was paper towels. And then when I saw napkins, mm-hmm. I'm like, who uses these anymore? I literally thought to myself, mm-hmm. like, exactly. this is stinks. Why do, why do we even have them? Um, I remember, you know, napkins being sort of like when I would have parties when I was a young kid, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. people would come Graduation over to my house. My mom would have like, exactly, exactly. So that's definitely not in my cart. No. I, I don't think I've ever, like, really paid for napkins. The only time I pick up napkins is if I go to, like, Taco Bell and grab something, and I'll get those <laughs> yeah. recycled 
I was about to make that same confession. I was about to confess live on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, I you discovered know, something really interesting from my paper towels. It's called, you know how they have make a sheet? I discovered something called tear a square, which is like half, it's like half of the make a sheet. So it actually looks like the shape of a napkin. And I was thinking, I never even buy napkins anyway. This is actually even better for me because now I could tear a square. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. I wanted to share that. Go ahead, Yvette. <laughs> no, I, I think that's really interesting, actually. Um, I was going to say, I think a lot of people are in more environmentally conscious, although I don't know how paper plates, you know, sort of fare into this conversation. We could say the same with paper towels and all that. Um, but I think we just don't want to use as much. It's the same thing with fabric softeners. It's almost like an additive. It's like, if I have a napkin, it's cool. If I don't, I'm not going to die without it. So I think with mm-hmm. us being a little bit more environmental, environmentally conscious, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we want to save more trees, right? I think that's, that's I what it's about. Well, I think it's also the absorption. Like think about like a napkin versus yeah. a paper towel. A paper towel can absorb so much more liquid and than a napkin. you can reuse a paper towel. You, right. You can't mm-hmm. reuse a napkin. Exactly. Well, it's exactly. like multi-purpose. So I reach for a paper towel. And if I had napkins, maybe I would go for that as well. But if it's smaller and a paper towel can do the same effect, kind of like which, where do you want to put your money? Do you want to buy more napkins or do you want to just use a paper towel roll that can be more accessible and probably used for different things throughout the home? Yeah, I feel like it's overkill to go shopping and to add paper towels and napkins to my shopping cart. So I, I just do the paper towels yeah. do the same thing, right? But then. During the pandemic now that we're speaking in, you know, at this time, I've noticed that napkins have been out of stock. And you know, I was researching a little bit more, and this might be PMI as well, but people were using napkins as bath tissues, and that's why they were out of stock, right? <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> wow. That's way better than paper towels. That's better than gloves if you don't have access to gloves. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? You gotta do what you gotta do, right? Like if you're going yeah. out and you're in a building and you do, you you're scared of like I don't know you have an elevator and you're scared of touching you know sort of the buttons on there and you don't you ran out of gloves I would say all right maybe napkins the next best thing right um let's be creative because yeah. uh, we are in a I pandemic. Agree. I agree with you though like napkins for me it it's only like a specialty thing like okay there's like a grad party or I'm gonna have people over and it's like. I have not lately, obviously, because of quarantine, but it felt like mm-hmm. more for like events and paper towels yeah. are so much more multi-purpose and like, I don't know, I'm like a long-term bachelor, so paper towels is the name mm-hmm. of the game. Uh, and I would like to think I'm environmentally friendly, but based off of how many paper towels I go, probably not. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you just, yeah. it's just, I feel like napkins are more of like that, especially in that whole like more dining experience, which funny that like generations like my parents will have napkins like right on the dining room table and all that and I'm like I don't even have a dining room table it's like a breakfast mode. mine too <laughs> you know? mine too my mom will always set those napkins and she actually has so she has different categories of napkins one are just the day-to-day basic white ones and then the second one have like little gold rim like designs and that's if like the dinner's oh, wow. mm-hmm. and she'll whip those out and she takes a lot of pride in that you know and I get it from an aesthetic point it might look really cute but for me, you know, I could probably care less, you know, <laughs> so it's just an interesting viewpoint on that. Mm-hmm. You, you bring up a, such a good point because I do think it's generational. Like, I think that generation is a little bit more formal and fancy and about the aesthetic. 
I think our generation, especially millennials, it's really about the efficiency and kind of like, all right, we don't really care about, not that we don't care, but maybe kind of in a way, yeah, we don't really care what it looks like yeah. as long as, <laughs> I think that's really the thing not to put that in a negative light that I just, I don't really care like how a dining table looks when I have friends over, it's all about like, okay, is it functional, right? Like if we're having a good time or whatever, you know, if a little bit of wine spills, it's okay, I'll get a paper towel eventually and clean it. I'm not like super worried about that. So I, I think that's the case, but I know like my parents, it was, it was really about having the dining room experience when we had fa like family and friends over. It was really a display. Like it's kind of like a pride thing, right? To be proud of kind of your dining room and how it looks versus like, I don't think that I care. You know what, I don't know about and I know we're pouring into another topic. To... Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Dom, go ahead. <laughs> I just want to throw this last piece in there, but I don't know if this is like accurate or not, but I'm assuming like, I know like older generations too would use like a lot of like towels, like kitchen towels and all that stuff. And I feel like we're just more about disposable. So exactly. I can see like why, I don't know when like paper towels like blew up in popularity, but I could see like probably the declining of the kitchen towel probably ended the napkin as well and stuck with that generation. And to piggyback oh, of what yeah. you said, I think, you know, this whole idea of collectors, right? People used to collect mm -hmm. China, fine, you know, mm -hmm. dining wear, silverware. And so that was almost like when you stepped into somebody's home, it's like their showroom and they were so proud of it. You know, mm -hmm. I think, in, and obviously this is going to be another topic we're probably going to veer into, but millennials are, you know, a lot of them are renters, um, myself included. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, where it used to be in, in previous generations, it was more about, okay, your first home has got to be your greatest home. You've got to make an impression. You've got bigger space. Everything has to be bigger, fancier, right? And hence, you know, the need for chinaware and showing off your dining room. I think mm -hmm. we're more about our value system is a little bit different. You know, we, we're more about experiences rather than things. Um, less mm -hmm. on the material end, but more about experiences and, you know, actually experiencing life, even traveling more. Um, but obviously we'll get into that, but that's just my input. And Yvette, you brought us into our uh, next topic, which Woo! is number seven. Which okay, actually I'm gets excited to talk about this. What's exactly. This? Which number seven is designer labels. Yeah, this one's really interesting because I was reading this article on Vibe. And what they're saying is the reason designer labels have been killed by millennials are because of unique social media influencers who are not following the norm of high fashion. High fashion was a thing in the 90s, and then mm -hmm. high fashion started to die out in the 2000s, mm -hmm. and the social media generation was all about being unique and using private labels, saving money, and athleisure was introduced, which was not a thing back oh. in the day. People were never wearing athletic mm -hmm. clothes unless they're playing tennis at the country club, exactly. right? Now you pair so now wear a pair of heels with your joggers and it's really sexy. Trendy, yeah. <laughs> I have to also admit, like, you know, designer wear, it was always about the Gucci and the Prada and the Louis yeah. Vuitton yeah. and it was or kind of a status symbol. Yeah, it was kind of a status symbol. It's like you actually aspired to, to be that. But I think our generation, one thing I have to say is we're not as rich as our, our parents' generation, right? Gen Y, ha like, they came out of the gate making a lot more money. I think with millennials, I mean, we, we have to admit that there's a lot more debt. You know, the pay is not as, as, as high as graduation rates, you know, previous generations. So I think that whenever it is, not that millennials, 
can't necessarily buy some of that stuff over time. They just are putting their money towards something that might not be as expensive or putting it towards travel. Like They're actually putting it toward travel and yeah. restaurants, exactly. according to that article. So yeah. you guessed one of them. That's yeah, pretty yeah. Good. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really interesting because it also makes me think about the death of department stores, right? Where all these fashion labels mm -hmm. were once, I guess, held. Um, I know there's obviously exceptions like Rodeo Drive, where they'll have these, you know, labels. But mm -hmm. think about department stores, you know, Macy's, J.C. Penney. Obviously, they're not high end, but I think it's the mm -hmm. death of that whole culture of having to buy, 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 and how fashion has to be the statement of status quo. Like this is me, and this is where my importance is. I do have mm -hmm. to disagree though, because I think nowadays with the advent of social media, I actually think yeah. we're becoming a little bit more sort of maybe that brands are a little bit more visible just because it's all visual. And when you, you think mm -hmm. about it, when an influencer, right, is showing, mm -hmm. I don't know, even like modeling for Prada, everybody sees that now. And it's not just mm -hmm. everybody reading a magazine who's flipping through it. It's the whole world. It's global, right? Because that's social media. It has no geographical barriers. So I would actually say, and it's interesting that you guys bring that up, that yes, there are a lot of independent labels, but I think, you know, if we're talking about higher end, I still even see more of the popularity. That's just my opinion. Do I buy into that all the time? No, but I do know people who just have yeah. to buy designer labels. That's all they're about. Like, what, they've got to have I the Gucci like, bag with the Gucci belt, then they've got to get, have the Gucci hat. Yeah. I think with that mm -hmm. too, when it comes to designer label, especially millennials, we're like in this weird world because if you just base it off of social media, you're probably like, wow, everybody's a designer. <laughs> so that's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's like a fake exactly. world. But I do also yeah. agree with like, I agree with you both. Like Yvette, I do see like the, I probably see more designer in my face, just being by on Instagram and being sponsored posts and then friends. Um, but then I mm -hmm. also see on Misha then, I'm, a lot of people probably front it and they're just not paying for it. Or it's like one yeah. piece and they're mm -hmm. not buying it back. So I can see like, it's kind of a weird thing. Us millennials uh, will, try to showcase like the I say the fool's gold mm -hmm. <laughs> but then in reality yeah. nothing's getting purchased or it's getting returned or well, anything another thing I might have to say is it might be geographically like dispersed as well like you guys are out in California and LA so there might yeah. be more of an emphasis on designer wear I mean we're in Austin and I I don't I think I've maybe seen one girl wear a Louis Vuitton bag here. Uh, you know, Austin's also considered very down to earth. And so I, I see a lot of like cutesy, trendy things, but I don't necessarily see like those designer wear bags in millennials. Now I've definitely I seen some- That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, I think, think if you go to like them. metropolitan cities, like especially the huge exactly. cities like New York and Miami, you, you know, you, you see designer mm -hmm. brands everywhere. Um, everybody's carrying like a little Louis, right? Um, so. <laughs> I'll see a Louis bag or I'll see like a Prada bag, but it's, it's typically like an older person. So I've definitely seen it, but I don't see a lot of like people in their twenties and thirties that are carrying it around. So that it's kind of interesting to see like where that disbursement is around the country. Well, let me add some more context yeah. to this because I read this article and we work with a lot of influencers too. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to sponsored posts, those are going to be the ones that will appear based on what you search for. So if you are searching for something fashionable, that'll probably be, you know, mm -hmm. in your feed right the there. Algorithm. But mm -hmm. I feel, but I do believe that there are a lot more private labels who are competing with these high fashion labels, and they're trying to give them a chance of succeeding, mm -hmm. and they want to be a little bit unique. So they're actually 
they're giving the influencers free products to try on mm -hmm. to be able mm -hmm. to you know, have people jump on that bandwagon. Mm -hmm. so that's really the big thing that this, I'll, I'll publish an article too so you guys could look into it. Yeah. Podcast. I think it's just interesting to see. So I think that's really what's happening with the influencer generation that there's so many micro influencers out there and they would, you know, to get a $20 shirt, it's nothing for this company. So it's not a Gucci or a Prada, but it's a, it's, a, it's an ABC family owned company who wants to have some kind of traction in the industry. So they're giving it out. Yeah, well, I agree with you, you too. Because I, I was just going to mention with the online competition, uh, other generations like my parents and grandparents, it was only foot traffic. So I don't think the private labels could afford it like brick and mortar as they can now. So it's interesting you bring that up because I could see, I guess right now the designer labels are just having to compete more versus in territory they never had to compete in. Well, it's interesting because there are also like what, what you speak of, Andy, a lot of designers like Michael Kor, for example, um, what has made him a billion dollar empire is the fact that he's all about looking high end, but not spending high end money. And so um, it's interesting because he's one of the top designers right now. Now, do, do his products go for like a does, does his bag go for the same as a Versace bag? Absolutely not. Um and so that's what people really like about it is that they can actually tote some style, have some flair in their wardrobe and not have to spend that money. So I do think, you know, a lot of millennials who are, yes, who are sort of buying into, okay, I still have to comply with fashion are looking for more budget friendly ways to do that. And that's look at, you know, Michael Kors, he's an example of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think that, um, you know, when it comes to designer labels, you know, I think that there is kind of a, a a way for millennials to kind of understand, hey, listen, it may not be the, the choice that I'm going to be making right now, but maybe I can aspire to, to get that bag or something, you know, when, when time comes through. The last, the last bit of information I wanted to also add more context mm -hmm. to this too is there's been a huge transition to online shopping in the last 10 years or so. And a mm -hmm. lot of high fashion was not known for their e-commerce outlets, right? They might have had a store, but most people went inside to buy them. They would go in the fitting room. When you're spending a lot of money, you want to try those clothes on. We had actually covered yeah. this in the top probably mm -hmm. stuff, what, about a month ago or yep. so. But now that they're making that transition to online shopping, you're not going to spend a 1000 or $2,000 for a dress without trying it on, right? Exactly. So you'd rather just mm -hmm. buy any private label brand. That's very true. All right. So now this is a really like interesting one. It's number six. And it is beer. Oh, beer is <laughs> interesting. I'd read, I'd read a lot mm -hmm. of articles on this one, so I'm just going to summarize a few really cool, cool points that I've noticed, and I'm sure a lot of you already know this, that in 10 years probably already thinking about this, but there's been a lot of calorie <laughs> content by consumers, and they're opting yeah. for hard ciders, spritzer drinks, and a whole thing called legalization of marijuana just happened, right? <laughs> so beer... Mm -hmm. Habits have yeah. changed drastically, mm -hmm. um, and with younger people, they didn't acquire a taste for beer, so mm -hmm. they're not drinking it now. That's why they prefer all the above drinks that I mentioned. 
So I, mm. I, I will speak personally on this. Um, I am not mm. a huge fan of beer. And I think the reason mm. being is that it just makes me really full. If I were to pair it up with a meal, that's just me. Um, that's mm. just, I'm not a beer person at all. But I can understand sort of the decline of beer just because we have so much available at our fingertips. And think about just our generation. We're all about cocktails, right? Like cocktails are the trendy mm -hmm. thing. What we can be, how we can be creative. Even in the beer mm -hmm. industry, they're finding ways to be creative, right? Just to sort of keep afloat. I mean, think about the craft beer industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, craft mm -hmm. beer is all about there never used to be a concept 20 years ago, at least I don't think, about having beer almost on the same level as wine, where one would just sample wine and sort mm -hmm. of let the notes fall on your tongue. We could do that with beer. It's called a flight. Um, I don't know how mm -hmm. many of you have, you know, went to a restaurant and sampled a flight where they give you different types of beer and they're really mm -hmm. small, you know, small portions. And that's because you can get sort of the feel for many different beers and, and obviously where the origin is and what the taste notes are like. And so we're experiencing it almost in the same way that wine is. And honestly, I think that's the only, only reason that it can maybe even compete is because there's this creative element to it. Other than that, I think, you know, a lot of times with beer, it's just sort of this filling thing component. And um, people are just looking to, to sort of pair food with a better option, right? And also we're not just looking so much to quote unquote get drunk um, anymore, you know? Uh, we're okay. looking for, if we go to restaurants, we also want to have an assortment of good liquor there as well to go really well with our, our meals. And I think that's basically, you know, we're in previous generations um, and not to say people aren't doing this today, but they, you know, have a whole day of work, whether it's eight or nine, 10 hour days and go straight to the bar just to sort of relax, right? And get a beer. They're not really thinking about food, they're thinking about getting their next drink after work, yeah. right? So then I have to agree with you. Like I've never had an acquired taste for beer. Even to this day, I do not like the taste of beer at all. I've tried a lot of different things. I think it's like a rite of passage in college that you mm -hmm. actually try beer, right? And I think that I, you know, the university I went to, beer pong was just kind of like a game you played. And I remember like trying my first beer and it was the worst. It was natural light, which is considered natty light. Yeah. It was like watered down crap like it's our natural natty light but I'm just not a fan so I, I think that that actually gave me kind of an aversion to beer and another thing you touched on of that is really the calories right it's very mm -hmm. dense in calories if you you want to avoid the freshman 15 in college and I definitely yeah. was very conscientious of that so I didn't really drink a lot in college I think when I started drinking it was really like cocktails and I was very much into like drinking champagne or maybe even like having vodka and spritzing a little bit of like crystal light in there just to give it a little bit of taste just to reduce the calorie content. So I definitely think that I myself personally is, am not really feeling like beer is kind of like the number one choice. Um, to, to have a, a cocktail or a drink when you go out to a bar is really about like having, enjoying kind of like new things. People are expanding their palate. And having craft beer or having like a nice wine or a nice like old fashioned or like a cocktail. And it's, it's really about like enjoying if you're going to, you know, indulge, you're going to want to enjoy the drink and savor it as opposed to just kind of chugging three or four beers. Exactly. Less intoxication, emphasis, more on pleasure, more on the enjoyment of the experience. You know, I was, uh, 
Mm-hmm. I will say though, um, you know, I, I I did drink a lot more beer before I switched to cocktails, and I know a lot of people like family and like friends that are you know will drink beer versus wine or cocktail because I agree like when you go to like a bar in Anthony, that's great, but I know like when you're uh, when you go into like parties or you go into like a house, it can be family. You'll notice a lot of people well, in the past were drinking a, a lot of beer just to kind of it's like the cheap quantity bulk type thing. So I think like millennials, and I I don't think it's like not because we're going cheap on this part, but I think kind of like the Andy's point where money was going to travel and restaurant. I think mm-hmm. we're a, a drink. We actually spend more money than probably other generations on it because it's kind of that our one of our statuses. Like oh, I have like a cocktail. I have this Moscow Mule. I have uh, this yeah. new this new drink. And then also cannabis. It's a lot of people that you would see that drinking like the the lower end of beer. A lot of them probably mm-hmm. switched over to um, having cannabis and smoking, which is becoming a lot more popular too. So now with all these new cocktails, craft beer and cannabis, there's a competition versus just having a Miller Lite or a Bud Light, for example, that mm-hmm. they didn't really have in the past. I have to I have to admit, like it's funny that you mentioned that, Tim, because I I follow Chelsea Handler. She's like one of my favorite comedians. Oh, and she's like a, oh, okay. yeah, she's hilarious. She was a huge drinker like she never yeah, like uh-huh. was, was shy about talking about how much she loved vodka and she got drunk all the time and then she like noticed that her health just wasn't in check and she needed to get into shape um I think she was beautiful beforehand but now she's like super focused on her health and one thing mm-hmm. that led to that is she quit drinking and she is smoking <laughs> um yeah. and all the time so it has really kind of like helped her in terms of her, you know, I'm not saying that this is a nutrition thing by any means, but it really helps her kind of get more into shape. And typically, mm-hmm. I, you know, what I've heard is when you smoke more weed, you eat more. But she has the opposite effect. Like her, like munchies have essentially gone away. So she said that she's a little bit more laser focused on her nutrition, which I think is really interesting. And it's a very different way to take. But I don't know, Andy, what do you think about this topic of beer? I'm sure you drink a lot of beer in your day. I discovered beer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I guess, I guess being a fastboy from the second largest food system in the U.S., um, yeah. it's going to be hard to avoid beer at that point. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was cheap. It was mm-hmm. it was in mass quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike your your um, was it Milwaukee's best? No, you had Natty Light. Natty so Light. Oh. Besides Natty Light and Milwaukee's best, which they call the beast, and uh, <laughs> I had discovered Keystone. Keystone was actually my first beer ever. Keystone Light, mm-hmm. and, and I thought that's how beer oh, tastes. No. And I, <laughs> I, had, I actually acquired a taste for Keystone, so um, it tasted good to me at that time. And I was like, yeah, this stuff is pretty decent. But now. I am, I've changed so much because I guess I'm a lot more classy, quote unquote classy. I laugh. <laughs> now you're a full beer connoisseur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's only like, there's only like a handful of beers I like and they're, I'm so specific. It has to be a Belgian ale. It has to be a Who Garden. Ooh, you're just, one of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the only ones I enjoy, but I love White Claw. White Claw is such a big thing in Chicago. White Claw is really good. It's like, it was a drink for anyone mm-hmm. and everyone. I thought I sparkling. do remember that. When I lived in Chicago, everybody had that. <laughs> everybody <laughs> had it, yeah. It's a, it's a social symbol. But I actually mm-hmm. thought that having, like, 
spiked seltzer water be horrible, but it's so it tastes great mm-hmm. and it is good. Like when you're when you're trying to be healthier, you yeah. don't feel bad about it. Beer, yeah. beer is a very heavy feeling. Beer bloats you. Mm-hmm. A white claw is essentially like you got a little water that got mm-hmm. spiked. So mm-hmm. it it also like on a hot summer day. It's really it's hard to drink an ice cold beer because it is going to kind of like make you heavy. But if you wanted to drink like three or four white claws, it feels like you just yeah. drank water. Like it's yeah. crazy. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and like you could enjoy a, a cocktail and you could savor it. But yeah. like beer is just something that I have this. It, it is like a negative connotation. I don't think I've ever heard anyone yeah. saying that I'm enjoying and savoring a, a bottle of beer. I think if it's a nice beer. So there yeah. are some there are some like beer houses that have like 200 yeah. beers on tap. Like on tap. And you could have a specific yeah, beer, a, a specific type of lager or IPA. Mm-hmm. So then you could enjoy those. But it, when but it also comes think to like, too, like mm-hmm. also like culture as well. Because like I'm from the Midwest small town. And when you go to those mm-hmm. bars, it chances are like my grandparents and my dad like went to that bar and it looked exactly the freaking same with the same posters. <laughs> and you're looking like you're looking at those generations, like you look at their music videos, you look at the billboards, it had like beer and smoking cigarettes. I don't see any of that now. You see music videos, they're right. pulling a bottle of liquor and they're pulling right. like uh you know, right. they're pulling uh, weed, they're pulling stuff that's more in tune. So I think a lot of it also has to do with marketing because you just mm-hmm. don't see like the posters of like, you know, the Three blonde girls and the cool guy with the leather jacket having a Bud Light, right? And <laughs> cheers, like, you don't see that poster on the TJI Fridays restaurant anymore. You see, okay, we have yeah. a Moscow Mule that's charcoal flavored and all that right. stuff. Right. <laughs> but when you are in Chicago, there's a big like Cubs and White Sox issue, and yeah. one is a Moor and one is a mm-hmm. Bud. So they're yeah, like, no. it's like it's about Miller versus Budweiser. <laughs> In the world, world of sports, I can see that in the world of sports, there might be more of an emphasis on the beer itself. But when you kind of go, you know, across that, I think it, like geographically, I think a lot of these uh, topics that we've already discussed are having to do regionally, right? Mm-hmm. Where you are yeah. in the process, and maybe in a midwestern, like a small town. Like I, I grew up in Tennessee in a really small town, and I can definitely say that there's not a lot of liquor and and wine connoisseurs there. Right. It's really about right. the beer. Right? After a long hard day's work, they're probably mm-hmm. going to crack open a Budweiser or a Budweiser. It's funny yeah. though how how interesting it is with geography because I have a friend who literally was the hardest beer drinker known to man, and she happens to like sports, so I wonder if there is a correlation there. But um, when I was living in Chicago, she would literally make fun of me when I would go to a sports bar and I'd be like, well, do you guys have any rosé? She would make fun of me. You know, She's like, why don't you just chug some beer? You're at a bar. And I'm like, I don't want it. I want a rosé. Leave me alone. Um, so, you know, now, you know, let, let's fast forward three years later. She's out here in LA and sure, she'll have her white claw, but she's like, I don't know what happened to me. I'm drinking rosé all day. Um, mm-hmm. so it's just interesting, you know, now she's into the cocktails, mm-hmm. which I really didn't particularly see before. And so she's admitted, she's like, look, ever since I moved to LA, I don't know if there is a difference there. I'm more into cocktails and I'm more into wine. And, you know, I'm sorry for all the bullying that I did all those years. When you, when you go into a beer house and ask for a wine, you're going to get one of three things. You're going to get Sutter Home, you're going to yeah. get Barefoot, or you're going to get Franzia, which is box wine, yeah. wine in a box. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Yeah, and also too like the craft beer. To be honest, the craft beer when we're all millennials, like we're starting to use that. I think it pushed people into liquor as well because 
an alcohol percentage on average on like a IPA or some of these crafts, like it's way higher and you're just not, it's not as light as like a Bud Light where people just would consume that throughout the day or like uh, just to have leisure. So I think like the IPA revolution that they had, you know, Denver popping out and putting all these different like blinds and private labels, push people to try different type of options than just the, the major brands. That mm -hmm. is very mm -hmm. true. And I think what's interesting to note too, even though beers, I guess beers is, is on the downtrend, what is interesting that's on the uptrend is more women are drinking beer ever than before. At least I've noticed as well. And I, I think statistically proven that more women actually do drink beer. Now, I'm not going to say it's like the kind of Coors chugging sort of ritual, right? Like, or, you know, nothing against Coors or, you know, Miller Lite or any of those well-known brands. But uh, I think it's more about sort of veering to the craft beers, the cooler mm. beers, the more unique essences, which a lot of more women are drinking are more into because it's the experience, right? Um, certainly when yeah. you go to a place like Portland, you see a lot mm -hmm. of breweries. Um, and even out here in LA, we've got breweries now, like they're the thing, they're popular. But I think it's more about the experience, less about, you know, let's just go get drunk and just, you know, just swing all those beers like back to back. It's more about the experience because a lot of these breweries actually have games in them. They have, you know, some of them turn into dance floors. Like it's crazy what these mm -hmm. breweries have. And so I think it's more about yeah. the experience rather than like, okay, let's just get intoxicated tonight. Um, although there are people out there who still want that. Um, I, but I think millennials are a little more conscientious with that. Yeah, I worked at a technology company a few years ago, and I remember like most of my colleagues were men. And I know that a lot of them were like, oh, I don't want to like work at this company for the rest of my life. And so it was kind of interesting that all of them in their basements or in their garages, like actually started crafting their own beer, which was really interesting. Mm. So I would have a lot of them invite me to over to do like a taste test. Hey, tester. I'm not a beer drinker by any means, but it was kind of a socializing like element. So I would try a little bit and I would tell them, Hey, this is, you know, this isn't good or this is yeah. a little bit better. Whatever. There would be like blueberry cocktails and things like that. But I have yeah. to admit like all of them at the time, I felt like I had like seven or eight friends that did it. Two of them successfully owned their own breweries. So it definitely at the time, like allowed them to kind of be creative. And as we've already mentioned, they're all millennials. And I have to say millennials are like the hustlers of our generation. So um, it was really cool that they turned like a side gig or a side hustle and a passion into like a business that they did. So it was actually really pretty cool. So um, I would, I'll just leave it off at that. I think we've actually gone through five of the industries that, that millennials are killing off. Um, we're going to be, um, you know, having a second part for the next five. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in and uh, look forward to next podcast where we discover the top five industries that millennials are killing. Join us next week as you continue your exploration with us. Make sure to follow, like, and comment on Instagram. Find us at hashtag explore more.